Welcome to the Dr. Me First podcast with me, your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. Erin Wiseman. Hey everybody, it's so great to be hanging with you today here on Dr. Me First. How you like this new introduction? Yeah? Well, it's me, your sassy host, Dr. Wiseman, and I'm so glad to continue to have conversation with our female colleagues. One, so that you know that you are not alone in medicine, and two, so that it brings encouragement, inspiration, hope, and fun to your life and your practice. So this is episode number 54 today, and in today's episode, I am talking with Dr. Laura Saylor. She is an osteopathic physician in the Midwest and family medicine trained. I mean, she's serious my long lost sister. But we talk about her word, which is reinventing. And she shares a story about how she's transitioned into new and fun and joyful and life-giving practice rather than what she previously was. So listen to our conversation, get as much out of it as absolutely possible, and then hang around afterwards for my kick of encouragement. Here we go. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's Dr. Erin Wiseman, your colleague in medicine and your coach in life. And I am so excited to bring you an interview, not only with a colleague, but one of my new BFFs that I have met online. We are kindred spirits. We are Midwestern girls. We love to run. We are family medicine. God, we were separated at birth. I am almost sure. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. So tell everybody about yourself, Dr. Laura. Yes, well, I am your long-lost sister from another mister. Um, my name is Dr. Laura Salyer, and yes, I am a Midwest gal, and by day, I am a functional family physician with a private practice in my Monroe, Wisconsin farming community, and then by night, I draw, write, and speak about burnout and physician resiliency. So yeah, I'm an advocate for docs just like you, Dr. Aaron. I know, and it's just... I, it's so invigorating to find other people, but it's so disheartening too that mm-hmm. we have to pave our own paths mm-hmm. when you want to like look at the institution and be like, come on, catch up. Yes, ma'am. I feel like it, you know, why is there so many of us going out and trying to speak about this problem that's so sad that that there is a need for that, you know, but so grateful that there's people like you that are just cutting the rope and saying, okay, I'm going to go and, and be that person that can bring light to such a, a horrible thing plaguing our whole society. I know. And as we both have been trying to like dig in to the institution of medicine and like implant ourselves in there because we see, we see the need, we see mm-hmm. that they like need our spunk and our light in the world. And yet don't you feel like sometimes it's just a closed door? It day is. after day. It is. It's, it's a closed door, but you know, culture change takes a long time to shift. And I love that this is a grassroots, you know, effect because you see these people bringing topics and everyone has their own unique perspective, which is great because there's no one single solution to burnout and to understand why, because it's so unique and there's so many different multifaceted reasons. And the more that people are talking about, it's really exciting because I feel like we're planting seeds and the more we squeak, because we're all squeaky wheels, they're going to have to listen. Absolutely. Did you see that new video with Z-Dog MD where he's talking about burnout as the moral injury? Oh, no, I haven't saved. Okay. You'll have to, you have to go look at it, but it's like, I saw it this weekend and I was like, damn it, Z-Dog. I've been saying that for years. And just because you have an audience, you get the credit 
damn you! Yes. It's also validating to know that what, what's in our head is in everyone else's head as well. And like all those studies that assimilate, like burnout is the same thing as PTSD. And I would absolutely agree. And so good for him for, you know, talking, but yeah, he definitely has the audience. <laughs> he does have the audience. So yeah, I'm, I'm proud of him, but then also I want to be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Saying that, yeah. Preach, yes. Exactly, exactly. Well, your word today is reinventing, and I cannot wait to see where you go with this because I know that this is a big deal in your life. It is. Well, if one thing you should know about me is that I grew up around dead people. So I grew up around a funeral home. And calloused about death, it does not. In fact, I feel like I respect it a lot more. I would watch my mom put makeup on dead bodies. I would, my Barbies had the best funerals because they had little mini coffins. I mean, I was fascinated with the human body, but I wanted to deal with live people. So when I went to medical school, it was this constant, like, you know, crush on just the human potential of physiology and healing. And, and it was just so wonderful. And yet, when I was faced with burnout in 2015, it was a shock to me because like you, we talked about this. You were the cheerleader of family medicine. You were, you know, just, I was the same. I was chief of our residency. I loved what I did. I advocated for rural family medicine and I did love my job for about eight to 10 years. And I think denial is huge in burnout. You know, you just are gritty, especially with us women. So another thing about me is I was always picked last in PE class for very good reason because I'm not athletic. So in 2015, when I decided to go for a walk and I started running and I started doing all these things that were not like me just to escape, it created this flow state. It created this rekindling, this reinvention of what my brain is for. And I feel like medicine is so automated that that occurred to me. What I was missing is the creativity that brought me to medicine, the, the healing, the ability to listen to somebody's story and transform it into a narrative that helps heal them instead of just checking off a checkbox and saying, what does your insurance pay for? You know, it just became so rote. And so when I realized like, wow, that is what my calling is, is just to help others see that, yes, you can be creative. You can reinvent your medical career. You can continue to infuse your day with creativity and it makes it more joyful and less stressed. And so here I am. I love it. I was just talking to somebody else about how I felt like what medicine did was like put us on a dissection table and like take out our heart and then forget to transplant a new one back in. And you know, and that's like what life coaching is to me. Yes. It's like being that transplant surgeon and being like, here, put it back in something new and better. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I love everything that you're doing with Right Brain Rescue Thanks. and creativity and flow. And it's just, it's so needed. It, and it's mm -hmm. so frustrating to me that, like we said before, like that we're having to go outside. Yeah. But I think it takes people like you and I that are willing to just go against the, the grain and say, well, we'll be out there. We'll stick our necks out. And, you know, whether it's one-on-one -on -one coaching, like what you do and just holding these wonderful retreats where, where physicians can get together and just have that space or what I do, which is try to science it and say, Hey, guess what? Creativity is a brain activation pattern and we can teach and we can help you prime for success. So you can actually optimize your brain for happiness and you can feel better and enjoy life. Cause that's what this is for. And all of us speaking the same kind of help and language for people is just so, I don't know, it's awesome. I, I love being in that same space as you. So tell me why you picked reinventing. Reinventing. Um, I picked reinventing because I think in medicine, at least how I was trained, we were very much 
I guess the only option was employed, employed positions in family medicine. It wasn't even an option that was presented that you could be a private practitioner. It was sort of like I graduated residency in 2003, so I was straddling the world of paper and EHR. And then as EHR became unfolded, you know, you could see these private doctors, you know, saying, eh, I'm going to hang up my shingle. This is not it. I mean, they're mandating all this. I'm going to retire. So it was sort of the the cocktail that we drank was, okay, you're going to go into an employed position, which I didn't mind. And I think it served a great purpose because like you, I had young kids and didn't have that energy to like create my own world. So I needed a, a place to just be a doctor and it great, it gave me a great opportunity. Um, but what we didn't know is the career we signed up for was not the career that we were told. And so as you know, I'm, I'm living this life, I'm realizing, whoa, this isn't all that I want to be. I want to have my own personality be reflected in my healing for people. And, and so the reinventing part of it was kind of like taking a, a look back and seeing that I can choose a different path. And not everybody will have the same path to choose. And my path is not going to necessarily be right for somebody else. But to go back to school, I went back and learned functional medicine and got certified and to learn how to partner with patients and getting them off of prescriptions and learning how to be healthy with vitamins and exactly the biochemistry behind it. It, it gave me that ability to reinvent myself as an even better version of what I was. So it, I guess that would be the word I would leave with everybody. Reinvention, not just with doctor, but you don't have to stay on that same path. You can choose another fork in the road. Yeah. What would you say to our colleagues who are listening right now? Because I know they are out there and they're like, Erin, Laura, I can't make the change yes. that you guys did. Yes. What would you say to her. I would absolutely get in her ear and go, I feel you. I know. You feel hopeless. You feel like there's no way. I'm stuck. I'm under a ton of debt. My family's counting on me. I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. I'm miserable. I'm just going to sit through another Prescani mandated meeting. I'm just going to suck it up for another five years, 10 years, whatever. And what I would say is you can absolutely make one tiny change per day and that will be exponentially different down the road. A favorite book of mine is called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And he talks about that self-interest compounding 1%. You see these overnight successes or these people that broke free and they're doing something different. Well, that wasn't just a one-time impulsive decision. Maybe it was, it's not a smart way of doing it, but like me and like you, it was tiny. It was like tiny little things that happened and I would choose something just a little different. And my biggest advice to anybody is listen to the whisper because your whisper knows whatever's in your gut. You are smart. You know, intuitively what the next best decision for your day is and you just keep following it. And the, the more you follow that intuition, the stronger it gets and it gets easier. And I think that's the most thrilling part of it. Yeah, I 100% echo all of that. What people are seeing in us now, they didn't see three and four and five years ago. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, I was a girl sitting in her car crying before going into the clinic day that day who decided, okay, I'm going to start my day 30 minutes later. So I didn't have to rush out the door on my kids. Yeah. And then that empowered me to take a step yes. like, okay, now I'm going to ask for Tuesdays and Thursdays off and go down to a 0.6 FTE. Mm -hmm. And then that empowered me to be like, okay, these are all the changes that I can make within this organization. Yes. So it's time for me to grow. So yes. I've got to uproot to grow somewhere else. And I transitioned away. Like exactly what you said. It just starts with those little yes. Steps. Yes. And, you know, I think I saw something, a quote that said discomfort is 
the universe telling you, was it you that put this that that like either you need to grow or you need to change? And that is so true. Like, listen to that discomfort. Now, I'm I'm very Buddhist in my mind that yes, we have emotions that feel and that pass through us and we shouldn't react and respond to every emotion. But when you have this undercurrent comfort, listen to it. Like you said, how what little changes? And I did the same thing. I, I would have Fridays off. I would try to start later. I would run over my lunch break. I did all the little changes I could until suddenly I felt like I had to molt that skin. And I had to say, I'm, I can't. I cannot do this anymore in the way I want it to. And it's very empowering to make little changes because it makes you feel good. So yeah, totally agree. It's And it's in those little changes, those little victories that that start reinforcing for when you need to to move or pivot yes. or need to change or need to have that really really hard conversation mm-hmm. that you were previously avoiding yes. and it's also in those little action steps that you can totally mess up you can mm-hmm. totally screw up and learn something from it so then next time when you go to make this step or a different step, you're like, oh, I remember that. Yes, I agree. And I think in medicine, we're trained to jump through hoops, right? And we're trained to be right or wrong. There's a right decision, there's a wrong. So to use intuitive decision-making processes is so atrophied in the medical profession because we don't do that. You know, we just, we're very evidence-based. We're very much analytical. So to tell somebody, will listen to your intuition is kind of uncomfortable at first. But like you said, when you do these small little things. You start to trust yourself more like, Oh, I kind of know what I'm doing. And, and it's always a win-win. Like you said, if you make a small decision and it ends up not fitting and you can backtrack, or if it ends up that you never do leave your conventional employee position because you found a way to make it work for you because you had lots of other little decisions. Well then great. It's not that there's one goal to reach. It's just making your life fit who you want to be. Exactly. Exactly. And Speaking to those women that are out there that are listening right now and they're like, all right, okay, I'm going to make one little decision. And if they're anything like me, then they get pissed and they're like, that wasn't (laughs) enough action. Yes. Yes. Right. I think the one decision that would impact everything that has actionable results is creating that space of silence and breathing, honestly. And I'm, I'm a creative person, but creativity needs space to grow. It needs flow. And we carry with us the biggest tool we can, which is our breath. And if you just carve out, come to work five minutes early, set a timer and just sit in silence for five minutes with something on your door, you know, that just says, do not disturb. I mean, start enforcing that boundary that you need to care for yourself. And those five minutes are glorious and it compounds and there's no right or wrong way to do it. Just sitting there in silence and breathing is so wonderful for your soul. So hard for me, though. I'm not going to yeah. lie. So hard. Yeah, it is hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Recently, in one of my groups that I'm, I'm doing, I made them do a time study. So, you know, like in the office, we do time studies about how quickly we can, you know, get patients through or about how efficient we are charting or, you know, whatever. We time study the shit out of things. But anyway, so I made them time study their own life for a day. Just that. We never not multitask. In that time study, they saw where it was like, when I was peeing, I was still on my phone (laughs) or taking care of a child or answering a question from your nurse through the door. Right. And so I think that is a really huge first self-awareness step Mm -hmm. is to be like, where do I even give myself time to breathe and not feeling bad about it? There's no guilt. Like I've really been going back to Maslow's um, pyramid of needs Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
and at the very bottom, it's basic needs. And I'm like, guys, basic. That doesn't yeah. even, that's not self-care. That's like that you have to do to meet your, your yeah. living, you know, food, shelter, lights, uh, warmth, clothing, sex. Like mm-hmm. those are basic needs and we totally put them on the back burner. Yeah. Well, and it, it's sort of ingrained in us. I mean, how many of us went through internship and you're carrying five pagers because all your colleagues are off your post-call and you're used to multitasking. You're used to totally being efficient. And then you add kids to the mix, you add a marriage, and suddenly you're like, yeah, I can do all this. And you realize, no, you can't. And it's actually a neurological fallacy. You can't multitask. It's called cognitive switching. Your brain is, is moving the, the blood flow from one area to a different part of your brain. So you're really half-assing all of it, you know? And that's to say that, you know, by practicing that delineation of this is home, this is this is the spot where I sit and breathe. It's like my grandma always said, there's always a place for everything and everything in its place, right? So intentional by building these boundaries of this is when my work cannot touch me. This is the place where I tuck my kids in. And this is the, you know, all these little places, you create this beautiful world and you can relax and your stress goes down. You know, I really think we're so good at delayed gratification mm-hmm. that we're also so, so good at delayed punishment. And that's why all of us are coming to this because mm-hmm. we have done that for so long. We have jumbled it all. We have handled it all. Mm-hmm. And so then when we reach that place at the end, like when there is nothing left, there is nothing, nothing yeah. left. You're right. I think you're right. We, we drive on fumes. You know, our gas tank has been empty for so long and yet we still keep going. I don't know. We must be hybrid cars or something, but yeah, we just kind of keep rolling. And well, the, the very definition of burnout is mental collapse, right? How many of us are going to admit to collapse? No, we're like, nope, we're good. I'm good. You know? So I think that's the problem is we don't self-identify and Yeah. Till it's way at the end. And, you know, and that's where I really have a heart for our colleagues that when they get to the point that they're so stuck that the only way out is death. Mm -hmm. I really want to, I want to hold people in that. Like I really want to come to them and say, this is not your end. Death Mm -hmm. is not the only answer, but Mm -hmm. we get so squirmy about that. You know, we mm-hmm. want to refer people to the ER and like, you've got to go see the psychiatrist. Like, what if we changed medicine? And mm-hmm. if it was like, hey, if you're this burned out, if you're this stuck, that you're thinking that, you know, getting hit by a truck is going to be better than going into the office. Let's sit with that for a minute. Let's not yeah. throw you on SSRIs. Let's not put yes. you in a tent. Yeah. Like, yes, absolutely. And, and I think that's why this this toxic culture is shifting right now. It's not safe for doctors to admit that they're feeling depressed or stressed or burned out, you know, because then you're right. And the pat on the back, like, Oh, it's just part of medicine. Or they get the other extreme where then they get their license ripped away from them. And I've seen that happen. And that's a shame. So by all of us speaking about this and making this more of a common conversation, it's like the birds and the bees. You don't have one conversation with your kids and expect them to get it. You repeatedly talk about and keep an open conversation. If you have questions, come to me. You practice your poker face, you know, and, and that's just life. And when our administration and C-suite people understand that this is not a one-time physician resiliency weekend and, okay, you're cured. I did my thing, you know, yeah, right. Um, and you do this over and over and you, you open the doors and say, we're here. Please talk to us. We want, you know, all these things that can happen hopefully in the next five to 10 years, it'll be safer for physicians to then 
self-identify way earlier before, you know, in, in the agonal breathing stage before it's like asystole, you know? And that's what I hope is that all of this little conversation is not for, for nothing. It's, it's awakening everyone that has to deal with physical. Maybe we need to just change our whole culture around how we, we talk about it. Yeah. And I do, I do think that it's going to be on so many levels. I mean, we've talked before you and I about, you know, getting into residencies, getting to our medical students. But I mean, I think that also means th the current working physician spectrum that we're in yes. too. Like we, we are just all going to have to get ourselves healthier so yes. that then we can stand up and say no further. Yes, absolutely. And you know, it's mental and physical. And that's the part that I really am just diving into in, in the whole functional medicine realm is how our mental thoughts change our physiology and how cortisol affects our mitochondria and our brain health. And it wasn't until I personally started diving into the biochemistry and learning the things I needed to do to keep myself healthy and at top game, then all my creativity flowed and all my energy flowed. And I was like, you know what, doctors that are even raining that don't know anything else really should have that knowledge because imagine if you understood that by putting like greens on your plate, you're actually activating the GABA receptors in your brain and you're less anxious. And by supplementing with MCT oil, you can actually help decrease your cortisol. So all these little things that doctors don't have time because they're so stressed or med students are just grasping at the next test and the block of testing they're doing. We need to keep them physically healthy. You know, it's, it's, it's really important to be on their game. Well, and it's time to adapt to these things that we know. God mm -hmm. love A.T. Still when he formed osteopathic medicine. Mm -hmm. But it's like when I was in school, I was like, guys, like, this is great. This is good foundation. Now let's excel osteopathic. Med like, let's bring yes. it into the 21st century. And I think that's just that. If we can give that space, if we can stop treating our students and our residents like scum of the earth and start treating them as next year's or next decade's leaders, making them as yes. healthy as possible and teaching mm -hmm. them, okay, yep, Krebs cycle, good, moving on. Right. Let's really get into mm -hmm. what's yeah. coming next. Because the thing is with evidence-based medicine, it's always behind. Like because of all the studies. Mm -hmm. And so I, I know there has to be a better way that we can do this. And yeah. our patients are, that's what they're demanding. Yeah. I mean, what, what patient wants to go to a burned out doctor who is like overweight and tired and chronically stressed. And they've actually, there was a study that said every 1% increase in burnout metric is 11% increase in patient errors. I mean, we know the stats are there. And I love that you mentioned taking care of ourselves because actually if anybody's going to the AAO convocation in 2020, I'll be speaking and running workshops on healing the healer using self-administered OMM. So we have a whole bunch of workshops. We have a bunch of functional medicine infused in there on mitochondria and brain health and all these real things that doctors and students and residents can take home with them and say, I'm going to start implementing this program to keep me healthy. You know, yes, we give to our patients, but for the first time, we're going to turn it and flip it on its head and say, we need to heal the healer. Yeah. Doctor, heal thyself. Mm -hmm. Doctor, me first. Podcast. Yes. yes. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Well, everybody knows about all my junk with Doctor, me first and coaching and stuff. Tell them all about your stuff. 
Yes. Well, okay. Locally, you can find me at um, drlarasalier.com, which is where I do my functional medicine and my clinic. But globally, I am on rightbrainrescue.com. And I have a YouTube channel. I have a podcast. I, I write and I draw. I'm actually writing a book. So if you sign up for the newsletters, you can get little journey from burnout to bliss. And I love what I do. I go to residencies. I give talks on the medical, physical, and analytical problems of burnout, but also how to make yourself creative and love life again. And that is my mission. I'm living my dream, just going around and inspiring others to tap into their creativity because we all have it. And it's so wonderful. Well, I know, like I said, but when we started this, you definitely are a huge source of inspiration for me and a close friend. And Likewise. I'm so glad that you came on this podcast and I encourage everybody to go check out all your goodness. Awesome. Wonderful. And to hang out with us. And then one day when we are leading the yes! world, in that the culture of medicine and women kicking ass because the future is female. <laughs> yes, ma'am. They will say that they heard us first here. That's right. That's right. And we will get together and do like a 5K or something for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe a trail run. Have you ever tried yeah. ultra? No. <laughs> I haven't either, but it's a, it's a dream. Hashtag life goals. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you, Dr. Aaron. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on and keep doing all the wonderful work you're doing. Oh, so good, right? To hear another person's perspective on how they have turned lemons into lemonade. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Laura. I think the work that you're doing is absolutely amazing with Right Brain Rescue. I would encourage you guys, we also did a podcast episode for the Right Brain Rescue podcast, and we talk a lot more about creativity and about um, Dr. Seiler's work, and I would encourage you to, to check that out as well, and I will put a link in the show notes about when we did a reciprocal podcast, and I myself talked a little bit more about how I'm creative, but not a definitely in the traditional fact, like painting, singing, poetry, that sort of thing. So check out that podcast too. But what I want to go off of with our kick of encouragement today is listen to the whisper. Those four little words that she said really inspired me. Because so many times in medicine, we're going off protocols, we're going off evidence base for what antibiotic we should use. But you know what, there is some amount of intuition that we use in medicine as well that I don't think that we honor. And it's like understanding the gestalt of a patient. Do they look sick or are they just saying they're sick? It's also like tuning into that intuition when you're seeing somebody with chest pain being like, do I think there's really more going on and I need to order a couple more tests? Or do I have a pretty good picture? Like. We really do tap into our intuition if we get intentional and think about it. I mean, think about it. There's times when I was in training or early in practice when I would ask a preceptor or a partner, like, well, why are you doing this? And they're like, well, I just feel like this is the right direction to go. Or maybe they've had an experience in the past that is contributing to their decision making today. And so I think that it's there. I think that we can use our intuition, that it's good, that it's sound. And we need to use it more for ourselves. Like when we're sitting up in the middle of the night and being like, things are just not right. Or when we're in the middle of an office day and we look around and just kind of pause in the middle of our, the chaos and be like, I don't want to be here right now. Like really looking at that in a non-biased way and just saying, intuition, 
what are you telling me right now? Because it's a really powerful tool to help guide and move you into a life and practice you love. So listen to the whispers and let me know what the whispers are telling you. Hopefully it's not anything like schizophrenic, like the radio's talking to you. But if it is, hey, we're a community of doctors. We can help you with that. But I would love for you to pop over to my Instagram. Let me know what the whispers in your own life have been saying to you or shoot me an email. That's in the show notes too. And as always, I'm here to talk. And I know Dr. Laura is the same way. She loves speaking with other physicians in this journey and helping guide and coach you in that direction. So if you liked either one of us, set up a call. And remember, because this is how we always end every podcast, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. Bye, guys. Thank you.